We're going to continue tonight um, in our study from Psalms. And if you remember last week, we moved into a discussion about artistry, the artistry of the Psalms. And we, this was a little different than the, than the rest of the topical discussions have been so far because we sort of dug into some of the structure of the Psalms. And uh, we talked about the fact that, um, that the Psalms are written in the form of Hebrew poetry, um, that some Psalms are written as poems, some as lyrics. Uh, of course, we know that many of them were sung in worship to God. And we talked about last week, our first major point in this part of the study, we transitioned out of talking about spirituality and into artistry. And we talked about the fact that the poetry of Psalms is unique. Um, and if you remember, we spent some time talking about parallelism, um, not in a very deep way, but just in the fact that uh, a lot of the Psalms is written with parallel thoughts grouped together. And, um, and Brother James was mentioning to me, and I think Drew even said on Sunday, he talked about, you know, there are different types of parallelism. Uh, the ones that I mentioned last Wednesday night were ones that were sort of, they were, they were reinforcing a point. So some parallel thoughts that just sort of continued to paint a picture, but there's something called um, antithetical parallelism, where there are things that are done in opposites. Um, so there's a lot of different kind of parallelism um, in this book, but it, it helps, you know, it, it, is, it is poetic in nature, and so those, those kinds of things feel, uh, feel poetic. We talked about the fact that, of course, this was written in Hebrew and translated into English, and so there are a number of things that can be lost in the translation. If you remember, we talked about how uh, some of these were written as um, acrostics um, or written in like an alliterative style using, you know, if, um, we went to Psalm 119 and Psalm 119 has those sections um, with the various letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, going through all of those chapters. and and. Um, I mentioned to you that my understanding is the way that those individual sections were written in Psalm 119 were that they each started with the same letter of that section. And of course that gets lost in translation, but a lot of the poetic nature of the Psalm is not lost. I mean, it can be translated into any language. And we're going to talk, one of the things we're going to spend a good bit of time on tonight is the, the vivid language. And that cannot be lost, right? That can be translated from one language to another and still seen in these beautiful word pictures that are painted in the Psalms. Um, if you remember, we, we went to Psalm 15, if you want to just flip there, and then we're going to make our way into something new real quick. But Psalm 15 was our example um, where there are some things that are sort of said in parallel that uh, in, in just the first three verses there, you know, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Two things that sound very similar to one another. Um, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Again, sort of parallel. Who does not slander with his tongue, does no, does no evil to his neighbor, does not take up a uh, reproach against his friend. And we talked about the fact that these were not written just to take up space. Um, 
there, although things may be very similar to one another in the writing in the Psalms, they're, they're different in that if we spend time in them, we can glean a better understanding, a more full and complete understanding. You know, so I wrote in my notes, you know, if you're in Psalm 15 right now, in verse 2, David could just have said, he who does what is right. But he, he talked about the fact that he walks blamelessly, he does what is right, and he speaks truth in his heart. And those, those are slightly different things, right? So you can, you can get something different out of each one of those. And that's, that's the real point. So that's the reason that the Psalms, they weren't just written for like the establishment of facts. They were written for thought and examination to help broaden our minds in the study about the principles of God. Um, so let's get into something new. Um, let's go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. And we're still thinking about this idea of the, the unique poetry of the Psalms. Uh, but we'll take a look at this one. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of, your, of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. So Psalm 145 is a psalm of praise to God. Uh, David praises God for his might, for his righteousness, for his gracious care for all people, and then in particular for, for humble people and suffering people. And we know that those are, we know from many passages throughout the Bible, those are particularly people that God lifts up. But in terms of the unique poetry, Psalm 145 is also an acrostic poem. Each verse in this psalm begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And again, this is one of those things that unfortunately we can't see, uh, but the author's original intent was to create that poem. And um, I won't go back into our mother's day poem again this week, but you remember that the reason for that poem is so that we can remember it, right? M is for this and O is for this. Um, and so um, how easy would it have been 
right? To, you know, when you start studying Psalm 145 to say, all right, you know, what is A, B, C, and D? If to us, th this Psalm would tell us, you know, this Psalm is entitled, Great is the Lord. So we would think of it as great is the Lord from A to Z. And I'd say, Tom, tell me what is J in this, uh, in this acrostic. And those things, it's just the way the mind works, right? It's easier than, you know, me saying what's the 13th thing in this list. Somehow that acrostic uh, helps us. It's a, it's a great mechanism for study and it's a great way for uh, God's Word to be organized. And that's the way that it is. All right, our second point, talking about the artistry of the Psalms, is that the music of the Psalm is, is unmistakable. Um, there are notes to the musical director that preface many of the Psalms. Uh, these instructions provided guidelines about instruments that could be used for accompaniment. The, the flute, the lyre, stringed instruments are mentioned throughout the Psalms. Uh, there's the tune to which the Psalm should be sung. And so, um, you know, we know that these were made for, for singing. Um, start with Psalm 4 with me. Flip to Psalm 4, and we're just going to take a look at these headings for a second in the idea of the singing of these Psalms and the music of the Psalms. Um, psalm 4 is entitled, Answer Me When I Call. And uh, you remember we talked about these headings, right? That they've been there for an awful long time, that they're probably not part of inspiration, but that they, you know, the, I think we, there's some real reliability here in terms of the direction that went along with these psalms. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Flip to Psalm 5. Lead me in your righteousness. To the choir master for the flutes. A Psalm of David, right? So some instructions there on, on this, you know, how the, the song should be um, carried out. Psalm 6, O Lord, deliver my life to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemineth, a Psalm of David. My understanding is that the Shemineth is eight, or if you think about music, that's an octave, right? Eight, the eight notes in an octave. Um, so this is so the shemineth is a musical term supposed to denote the lowest note sung by men's voice. Some men's lowest notes a lot lower than mine. I have a little high pitched voice, right? So I've always dreamed about having a having that bass floor rattling voice. And if we get to select our voice when we get to heaven. I will be selecting the voice of Coon Stevens from the Munford Church of Christ, who, if you had him in the, in the building, that's the only bass you needed. That was plenty of bass. I mean, he, you could sit in front of him, and I could feel it on my back, the vibrations. And, uh, and I love a bass voice. I just always have. Um, Psalm, Psalm 8, how majestic is your name to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of David. And my understanding is that the Giddeth is a musical instrument of unknown character supposed by some to have been used by the people of Gath, get it, Gath and Giddeth, and, and obtained by David. Maybe it was, I take off his head, grab a Giddeth on the way out, right? And so remember that, uh, that Goliath came from Gath. Uh, so uh, that may, have been, that may have been an instrument mentioned there. Uh, 
Uh, Psalm 9, I will recount your wonderful deeds to the choir master according to Muthlaban, a psalm of David. I know I'm very likely butchering this. Hope there are no Hebrew scholars here. Drew's fortunately not here tonight. Uh, he might be laughing as I tried these words. Muthlaban uh, might have meant what motivated the writing of the psalm, perhaps the death of a man named Laban, or it could have been how the psalm was to be sung or maybe even a specific musical instrument. Regardless, these were instructions. And if you remember one that we talked about earlier in the quarter, Psalm 22, you have to flip over a few to get there. Why have you forsaken me to the choir master according to the doe of the dawn? And so that would be, a, you know, how many songs do we have you know, that we'll sing sometimes to the tune of another song. We, we do that in VBS all the time, right? So, you know, we'll have a row, row, row your boat song or, you know, some kind of tune that we'll sing another set of lyrics to. So, uh, it's not a surprise that the Hebrew word for the book of Psalms, which is Tehillim, means songs of praise. Uh, many Psalms were, were written to be sung in worship uh, more than... A third have the word mizmor in them, which means songs set to music. Thirteen are titled shur, or song, and many are called tehillah, or song of praise. Now, I thought that, you know, for us to make that real for us today, uh, and this probably comes to your mind as well, uh, think about how many of our current songs that we sing often are inspired by the Psalms. So I, I went through this exercise. I hope you find it interesting. I did. So and you can tell me later if you agree or not. But I went through the first hundred songs in the songbook. We're not doing all hundred. Uh, but uh, I, I just thought it was interesting in the first hundred how many of them that I really could connect to the scriptures and the Psalms. So just listen to this quickly. Uh, Song number three is Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. And Psalm 148, 13 says, and maybe sometimes we don't even think about, you know, we, we'll know these lyrics, and, but sometimes maybe we don't connect them back to where they came from. Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Psalm 148, 13 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Do you hear, that, hear those lyrics? Not exactly but in Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Song number 10 is a mighty fortress. Mighty fortress, Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Song 15 is step by step. And Psalm 63.1 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh God, you are my God, right? And I will ever praise you step by step. Psalm 24 is, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Psalm 63, 4 says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. 31 is easy, be still and know. Psalm 46, 10 says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted above the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. 42 is, how majestic is your name? And Psalm 8, 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 43, all things praise thee. And Psalm 145.10 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Psalm 61 is, Be exalted, O God. And Psalm 57.11 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. And these are ones where, that really match the lyrics. 62, I exalt thee. Psalm 97.9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You're exalted far above all gods. 63 is a real familiar one. I will call upon the Lord. Psalm 18.3 says, I, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Right? You hear all those lyrics there. Uh, another one that's easy, 71, as the deer. Psalm 41 one, uh, 42, 1 and 2 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 74 is praise the Lord. You know, praise the Lord, ye heavens adore him. Psalm 148 starts like this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. You can hear those, uh, those lyrics coming out of those verses. Uh, almost done. 81, bless his holy name. Psalm 103.1 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Those are just verbatim the words of that song. 82 is bless God. Psalm 66.5 says, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. 89, be exalted, O God. Psalm 57.11 says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And last one, 96, I stand in awe. Psalm 33.8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That's just the first hundred. And you think about, we're not even singing, you know, th those translations did a lot of jumbling up, you know, in relation to the language and the words, but still they're so beautiful and so descriptive that, you know, we, if, we've, if we're not singing them exactly or almost exactly, we didn't even do, you know, 134, the Lord's my shepherd, right? That we almost sing verbatim from Psalm 23, but with just a little tweaking, um, so many of those Psalms we sing. And that's because they were written for singing back then and even moved into another language. They're so valuable uh, in their beauty and, and in the words um, to, for us to sing them as well. So, um, I may have driven that point home too hard, but, um, but you know, it, it just, I think we could go on for the thousand songs of the book and find a lot more that fit into that category. Um, in addition to the Psalms being lyrics for our songs, the structure of some of the Psalms suggests that they're to be meant, meant to be sung by two alternating groups of singers. Think about songs of that nature. So we sing songs that like go back and forth, right? Um, maybe one of the immediate ones that come to mind, our God, he is alive, right? We sing back and forth, sing those words back and forth. You know, there is a God, there is a God, he is alive. He is, you know, we do that back and forth. He gave me a song, right? There's a lot of those, a, a lot of 
our songs that in the chorus they'll do the back and forth thing. And, and that's, you know, it, it's, uh, it comes back from some of the things that are in the Psalms. Go to Psalm 136. This one may have been one that was intended to be sung in this manner as a thought and a repetitive response. The last half of each of the verses in, uh, in this psalm says the same thing. It's, it, they all end in, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so if you think about the musical nature of this psalm, maybe that's the way that it was intended to be, uh, to be sung. We'll, uh, we'll do the first ten verses or so. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's going to continue to talk about all the great things that God did on the behalf of these people. For his steadfast love endures forever. And so, you know, we might say, why did, why did he keep saying this over and over in repetition? For one thing, it may have been for a song. But in another way, it's said for effect. When you finish reading this whole list, isn't it a great way to drive home that God's steadfast love endures forever? Right? I mean, when you have a list of 26 things, and it's like, here's one way that God's steadfast love endures forever, and here's another way, and then, you know, and it just builds to see God's amazing loving kindness toward us, that he's shown love to us in so many ways. So, just an interesting psalm there uh, that very likely was a song that they, they sung. Our final point about the artistry of the Psalms is that the language of the Psalms is majestic. Uh, let's go to Psalm 36, and we're going to talk about uh, just five verses out of the middle of Psalm 36. Let's read quickly Psalms uh, 36, 5 through 9. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. In those five verses, you can see the psalmist use 
some great, beautiful language to paint this picture of God. So let's just dig into it right quick. So he speaks about God's loving kindness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his judgment. And here's how he does it. He says, God's steadfast love extends to the heavens. So he talks about how God's character is is without measure, right? As we look up into the heavens, it just seems to go forever. God's faithfulness reaches to the clouds. It's limitless in his reliability and his integrity. And if you take those first two items and put them together, his love and his faithfulness, that, that helps us remember that God will keep all the promises that he's made to those who trust in him. Then he moves on in, in verse 6 to talk about um, the righteousness of God. Your, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Now, what would that mean? What does a mountain do? It rises above everything else, right? And so uh, when we think about God's righteousness, think about the, the biggest mountain you've ever seen. Somebody tell me the biggest mountain that you can th- remember that, that you've ever seen. Pikes Peak, okay. That's way up there, right? Over 10,000. The, the Andes or whatever, right? I was thinking about that one because when you fly in, you do this. That'll make you remember those mountains, right? Um, uh, those, those are, Hawaii has one called Haleakala that's up about fifteen or 20,000 feet. I don't remember. Um, anybody ever seen Everest? <laughs> I have not. Um, but... Um, you know, all these mountains, it's like they rise out of the earth. Out my front door every morning when I was growing up, you could see Mount Chiaha, right? That's the biggest one we've got in, in Alabama, 2,407 feet. Not that impressive by everybody else's standards, but I thought it was awesome, right? Because you could see it rising up above everything else. Um, so it was just a hill in other places, but it was a pretty big deal in Munford, Alabama. So... Um, but God's righteousness rises up above everything else. You, you know, you, you, you come into some area and you see that great mountain and it's like it just, you know, rose up out of the ground above everything else. That's God's righteousness. His judgments are like the great deep. And you think about, I know we've got some cruisers in here, right, that like to go on cruises. You ever get out in the, you know, on, on a cruise and, and you get out to a place where you can't see land anywhere, and it makes the deep seem pretty great, right? I mean, there's nothing out there that you can see in any direction except for water. That's the greatness of, of the deep, and that's God's judgments. It's everywhere. It's so large. The justice of God is like the valley of, valleys of the ocean, um, the next thing says, man and beast you save, O Lord. God's caring nature, his consideration, it extends to all of us, to all of his creation. Uh, verses 7 and 8 thinks about the value and the scope of the loving kindness of God. Uh, what a beautiful picture this is. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I mean, what a great thought. The shadow of the wings of God. You know, being under his care like a, like a bird protects its babies under, under its wing. 
So his, his love for us is priceless. Um, the, they feast on the abundance of your house. Those who, find, who come to find God find complete satisfaction in the provisions that he provides. Uh, the psalmist says you give them drink from the rivers of your delight. All the goodness that flows from God as followers of him is available to us. And then this, song, uh, this section ends in verse 9. God is described as a fountain for with you is the fountain of life. And you think about a fountain and how it just continues to pour and pour and pour. Um, God is the source of that, of that life. And then finally, God's described as light. Those who come to him will have light and will be able to truly see. Those who don't come to him will live in perpetual darkness. Um, like the sun for our physical eyes, God provides light life and understanding for our spiritual eyes. So those are just five verses out of the Psalms. And we went through them fast, but there was so much there, right, that we could, we could stay and, and feast on. And that's this beautiful, vivid language that, um, that exists in the Psalms. And so last night I thought, well, as an exercise, I'm just going to go to a random place in the Psalms and just sort of jump in and see what I can find in relation to this vivid language and, you know, description. So I, I thought I'll go to the middle of the book, Psalm 76. So if you want to flip over there, um, and we're just going to do this real quick because I, I want to sort of finish this, these thoughts tonight. But, you know, there's nowhere you can go in the Psalms and not get the beauty of the language. Uh, that's really what it's all about. Psalm 76, if you look in, I just picked out a few places in, um, in these next three Psalms. Psalm 76, how about three and four? There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. Uh, jump to Psalm 77. Psalm 77, when the waters saw you, O God, verse 16, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hands of Moses and Aaron. It just... You know, you're just taken by the, the way these are written. And then we'll finish with Psalm 78 for this thought. Just like this description of the ten plagues, it's even better than the VBS song. Uh, you start in verse 42. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. When he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan, he turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. I mean, there's some stuff there that as I read through that, I thought, I'm not sure I got that back in, in Exodus, right? I think that, you know, we may be given a little bit 
additional in terms of what those plagues were, were all about, right? When it was talking about the flocks and the thunderbolts, and I was like, you know, that, this, is, this is a new picture here, at least for me. Um, so back to um, something that's less random than just dropping in to a particular place in the Psalms. I don't think we can talk about the vivid language of the Psalms and not go to Psalm 23, uh, just because, you know, it's probably um, maybe as a chapter, the most quoted chapter in the Bible, most known by the most people. Um, as we read through it, focus on the Im imagery of God as our protector and our provider and our guide, and look at the words that are that describe God in those ways. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see those words there? Shepherd, leading me, restoring me, being with me, comfort me. You prepare me. You anoint me. I can dwell in your house forever. What a great picture of, of God is our is our protector. But by contrast, I want to take you one other place real quick. And that's to Psalm 18. Let's go to Psalm 18. This is another psalm that describes God. And all of these things fit together like all of Scripture does. But this, this gives you a different picture of God. You know, that one, the protector, the provider, the shepherd for us, this one, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. Um, I'm not going to do all 48 verses here, so I'm going to do a little skipping, okay? Verses 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Go down to verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the earth, world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. Verse 24. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. 
For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it's you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The way of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for those who take refuge in him. Down to verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. It's a different picture, isn't it? It's, it's God. It's the strength of God. It's when, when vengeance is turned over to God to subdue the enemies of God, this is, this is the picture. It's the picture of the rock and the fortress and the deliverer. And that's just as true as Psalm 23 is. And so when we get to study all these things together, it paints all the different facets of what God really is. So I want to wrap this up this way. God delights in creativity. He delights in artistic expression. We couldn't see the world around us and all the beauty, and turn on the nature channels and see all the beauty across the whole planet and across the universe that exist, and not understand that God delights in artistic expression. And so the question for us is, how does God's creativity flow through us? And you might say, I'm a, I'm a square box kind of guy, right? That's that's Tim. I, I, I would love to be able to sketch people's faces and things like that. I draw blocks. You know, that's, you know, that's sort of the way my mind works. But everybody's creativity shows itself in a different way. Um, maybe you design buildings. Maybe you design clothes. Maybe you can make the baddest spreadsheet that exists or the greatest PowerPoint presentation. Or maybe, you know, you're like one of these folks that show out at the fall barbecue, um, you know, whether it's the, all those dishes in the middle or the stuff coming out of the smokers. Um, maybe your creativity comes in vacation Bible school, you know, every year. I get to see like these manifestations of people's imagination and I love seeing that. So um, maybe it's in a church planning session that your creativity comes out. You have an idea on how to spread the gospel. Um, maybe it's your work in the yard or how you repair, repair things. Maybe that's your, your artistry. Maybe it's how you raise children or mentor children or help us with that. No matter what it is, an expression of artistry lives within you because we were all made in God's image. And that's the God that we've been studying about. God speaks to us in artistic ways as well. You know, we often talk about the way that God answers our prayers, and it's not always in the way that we ask them, is it? Sometimes it's in very different ways and so much better than what we can ask for, and that's part of the creativity of God. So uh, I hope that this one's been a little bit different, right, you know, in looking at the artistry of the Psalms, but it's a very important part of it. Our next lesson, we're going, we're going to go back to more of a topical idea, and next week, we're going to consider God's power.